part of the training that, uh, that we get as pastors is we get assigned to work in congregations while we're seminarians, you know, kind of a field-based type of an experience. And one of the churches that I was assigned to is uh, Messiah Lutheran Church on South Grand in St. Louis. And if you're familiar with St. Louis, you know that's an inner city church. Um, I grew up in the middle of, the country, the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so it was a really different experience for me to be in this inner city congregation. And not only that, but uh, my fourth year, we lived two doors down from the church. A really powerful experience. And there were these... Uh, well, when you're in an inner city church, you're looking at some really different dynamics than what we deal with here in Hudson. You know, I mean, homelessness was a big issue. Um, racial diversity was a big deal. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I would say sometimes after church, if I uh, had the privilege of helping with the Lord's Supper, um, that that's a picture of heaven. Because you would have a, uh, a Russian immigrant next to an African-American family, next to a Vietnamese refugee, uh, next to some Eritreans, next to, you know, just go down the list. And then there would be some, you know, old Missouri Synod guys there, too. And uh, just <clears throat> really kind of a neat experience. And one of the things you deal with in an inner city church that, you know, this can happen anywhere, but it tends to happen more is mental illness. And we had a a couple of sisters. They probably had some kind of a developmental delay, but they had some kind of a mental illness. And they lived about a block and a half from the church. And every Sunday they would walk into church, usually about five minutes late, arguing loudly with each other. And they would sit in the front row. uh, And every Sunday... Every Sunday, didn't matter who was preaching, came time for the sermon, and one would go, (sighs) (sighs) it it was a blessing for humility. Um, (laughs) It was a a different dynamic, and they would actually fight sometimes. I remember this kind of stuff going on. And one, one time, Pastor Beckman actually had to like walk off of the altar as though, you know, your kids type of thing. Knock it off, you know? And it, 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 it was kind of interesting as I was reading this, reading from 1 Corinthians, talking about the body of Christ, I thought of these, these two sisters. These two sisters that, you know, from a worldly point of view, you you might ask the question, you know, what do they contribute? That, you know, the world would look at them and say that they're a burden on society. And yet I would submit to you that they were not just members of that church, but they were essential in that church. Because that's, that's what Paul says that the people who show up, who have been part of that body, who have the spirit in them, they're, they're all essential to the, uh, the church. You're more than welcome to close blinds if you need to. Um, but uh, th- this idea that, that when we come here, that some people are more important than others, that some people, they have a bigger role to play or a lesser role to play or no role to play. You know, that's really not biblical. The image that he gives is that we all have a part. 
that we are the body. And, you know, it's kind of like, he, he goes at it, you know, says, you know, if an eye were to say, well, because I'm not an ear, I'm not a part of the body. You know, my example is more like, because you're not like me, you're not part of the body. And that's just not true. You see, part of what happens, part of what we're tempted to do is we play this comparison game. And we compare ourselves in a whole bunch of different ways. And we kind of rank things and grade things. And, you know, all kinds of different levels that these comparisons come into the church. And they cause division in the body of Christ. You know, ethnically, um, I don't like to use the word race. I, I try to avoid it on the whole because I really firmly believe there's only one. That God created humanity. You know, and then there's a lot of diversity within that humanity. Um, but ethnically, you know, the, there's all kinds of division that takes place in the church. Shoot, as Lutherans, think of the history of, of, of our church body. You know, there were divisions between the Germans, the Finns, and, and the Norwegians. And I tell you, if you put them around the same table, sometimes they're hard to tell apart. But they could tell you which one's which. You know, and, and this happens all over the place in all kinds of different ways. It causes division. There are all kinds of economic things that take place. In fact, in fact James talks about this in the Bible, about preference shown towards people who are rich. You know, and, and I think that this does happen in the church sometimes. You know, people look and they're like, well, that person, they contribute a lot, so their voice means more. That's not necessarily the case. You know, intellectually, you know, well, this person has degrees and they're smart. They, you know, they have a better word to say than somebody else. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that that's true. You know, I, 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 I've seen people who, you know, are just very, very faithful, who might not have degrees, who have some really powerful things to say. And who live a life of example that's very meaningful. Politically. Politically, the church is a mess. You know, I mean, if you go back to the 1940s and 50s and you were to look at demographics of Lutheran churches, the Lutheran church was, and I'm talking about Lutherans because that's what we are. Um, the Lutheran church was split about 50-50, Republican and Democrat. And now you have all these different Lutheran bodies and they divide separately. You know, the Missouri Synod, the part that we're part of, tends to split 80, 90% Republican. The ELCA does a similar split, only predominantly Democrat. What, is, what does your political affiliation have to do with whether or not you believe Jesus died to pay for your sins? But this is a tool that, you know, is often used to, to separate us. We make comparisons spiritually. I, I experience this sometimes at meetings, you know. We go to a meeting, well, we should start with prayer. All eyes on me. <laughs> and I'm fine with that because, I mean, that, that, to some degree, that's kind of my role. But guess what? You can pray too. God hears your prayers. You don't have to wear one of these funny-looking things for God to hear you. In fact, um, one of the things that we're going to do start next week is a class uh, about prayer in the adult Bible class. So if you want to learn some more about that, you know, come. 
and be part of that. But, uh, you know, we, we tend to put people on pedestals, spiritually speaking. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't honor people for what they've done or, or, or whatever, but, but to think that somebody's better or if I could be more like, I, I tell you, if I could be more like Esther Williamson, then you would really have a great pastor here. She's a hero of the faith. But is that really a fair comparison? No, it's not. I would honor Esther and hold her up. She's our deaconess, and she's the best. But her faith and your faith and my faith, they're really rooted in who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, and the forgiveness and the salvation that he has won for us. You know, and when we start talking about division, social media, how many of you here have a Facebook account? How many of you wish you don't have a Facebook account? Man, I opened up a Facebook account early on. I was an early adopter because I thought this was going to be important, you know, and it does serve its purposes. You know, there, there are good uses for it. But oh my goodness. Like every other day, I wish I could just, you know, not, I'd just delete it and never deal with it again. Because of the division and the comparison that it brings. And you do know that, like when people show pictures on there, it's usually like one out of 10 and they cropped it and they picked the best one out of all of them, right? Because it's really easy to say, oh, look how good their life is. They're so perfect. No, they're showing you an image. And that image often creates jealousy and it's not necessarily even real. Now, none of those things in and of themselves are bad things. But the devil's able to use just about anything and to twist it and, and to use it to cause all kinds of problems in our lives and to create division even within the church, even within what Jesus calls the body of Christ. You know, when you have divisions going on in your body, that's bad news. We would usually call that disease. And a lot of that comes right there as we make comparisons to one another, unfair comparisons. Instead of accepting the gifts that God has given to us and rejoicing in, the who, the peop- in who God made us to be. You know, I was talking with one of the, uh, the people from early service uh, about kind of this idea and one of the things that they pointed out was, you know, there are people whose gift it is to give But if there's no one to receive the gift, what good is their gift? I think the same is true of love. I think all of us want to be people who love because we've been loved by Jesus. Do you want to be the person that receives the love? That receives the care, receives the charity? Because sometimes that's, that's humbling and hard, isn't it? But isn't that a gift given back to the person to receive the blessing that God has given them that they're blessing you with. There's this mutuality within the body wherein we need each other. And that's the way God intends for us to be. 
And when people start making comparisons and you really want to see where, where we're, we're really the same, it's, it's here. We really truly find our unity at the cross where we stand before our God as people who are created but fallen, who live in a relationship with God that we recognize I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And yet, we are people who are redeemed and people who are reclaimed. I really, I really have pondered this idea of if we really want to understand God's love, if we really want to understand the importance of the cross, we really need to understand the depth of our sin and the power of the brokenness that's within us. Because it's only then, in contrast, that we really get what God has done for us in Jesus. To know ourselves as sinners, but to know ourselves as deeply loved, redeemed, and reclaimed, and part of his family. You are people who are baptized into Christ. Paul uses that kind of language in the reading. You are baptized into Christ, which means you are baptized into his death, into his resurrection, into his forgiveness. And where there's forgiveness, there's life and there's salvation. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, the seminary and some of the training that I got. One of the things I learned at the seminary is 1 Corinthians 12, or epistle lesson came from today, comes after 1 Corinthians 11. Think on that one for a minute. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 is all about the Lord's Supper. And so Paul is talking about this unity that we have in the church, and he says that we've all drunk from the same spirit. He's talking about communion, that this is a moment of unity where we stand before the Lord and we receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the transformation that it makes in our lives. Knowing our brokenness and yet knowing our Savior that's where the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Where he rejoices to save us, to redeem us, and to reclaim us. That's our strength. Not that we compare ourselves to others and, and find ourselves better or more worthy or more valuable. God claims us at the cost of his son without any merit or worthiness in me that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is most certainly true. And this is where we find our purpose. You're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed all these different offices. But he, he, he says, you know, do all people preach? Do all people, are all people apostles? Are all prophets? Do all do miracles? Do all heal? And the answer over and over again is no. But he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Gifts like faith. Gifts like the ability to, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. To help people know him and experiences salvation. These greater gifts, they empower our witness, our hospitality. It's talking about our, our worship, our caring, our, our, our serving, 
in all that we do as a congregation and as individuals. And these gifts, they they come together in the people who are here as God intends them to be. And he knits us together as a congregation, as a people, as part of his body for his purpose, gathering people to Christ, building believers in Christ, and serving the world as Christ. Amen.